seated. We continue our study in the Psalter's Open Secret of Happiness. Turning now to Psalm 119. If you have a Bible, we're turning to the beginning of that great psalm to consider the happiness in store here for us. If you're visiting with us, you must understand that the, the book of Psalms begins with a promise of happiness. Not only is the first word of the first psalm happy, but the uh, last line of the second psalm, as these two frame the introduction, also speak about happiness. In the first case, the happiness of one who delights in God's word. The second one, the happiness of the one who trusts in God's son. And then all through the book, we find a great variety of ways in which the psalms have promised us happiness. Now, happiness is the great business and motivating factor of our lives, So if someone is promising us happiness, we want to know, how do we get it? What is the secret of happiness? Well, the Psalms say it's not a secret. Look here, look here. And so we are looking and seeking to find how we can be a happy people indeed. I have also explained, and I won't go through it all again, but uh, sometimes the word asheray is translated happy, how happy. Uh, Sometimes... Not quite sure why uh, the division is often made, but sometimes, as in here in Psalm 119, the word is translated blessed, but it's not the Barak line of words. It's the Asherah, the ordinary word for happy. Uh, And so the first two verses here that I'll read to you that begin with the word blessed are, in fact, the same word. We read a few Psalms later, Psalm 127, 128, as happy. Happy are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord and so forth. So I'm going to read it as given here, but you'll know it's a psalm that begins with a double promise of happiness. Let's read from 119, starting in verse 1, down, I'll read just into verse, uh, well, I'll just read to verse 8. Blessed are those who are undefiled in the way, who walk in the law of the Lord, Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with the whole heart. They also do no iniquity. They walk in his ways. You have commanded us to keep your precepts diligently. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep your statutes. Then I would not be ashamed when I look into all your commandments. I will praise you with uprightness of heart when I learn your righteous judgments I will keep your statutes. Oh, do not forsake me utterly. Amen. Let's pray once more together. Our Father, we pray that you would kindle a desire to uh, be uh, fully immersed in your wonderful word that uh, you might not only bring us to full maturity, but encourage us in happiness. We pray that more and more as these things are known, that your joy would be increased in our hearts, that we would have gladness as the people who know you as we ought, who love you as we might, who keep your commands not merely out of duty, but also out of great delight, for these things have been joined together in your word. So now we pray that you would bless our study in it. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the great miracles that God regularly performs in the world is a changed life. Every year, Untold millions are delivered from the dominion of darkness, not to mention the things that accompany that, maybe drug abuse or destructive habits or even emotional wounds and more. And people are born again to a new life in Christ. And with that new life, 
we regularly lead, read that there is new happiness and joy. And as we have seen in this series, the Psalms are full of such happiness. Here we sing how God becomes our exceeding joy in Psalm 43. We are told, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous. Shout for joy, you upright in heart in Psalm 32. How happy the one whose sins are forgiven and so forth. Psalm 16, in your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. The book of Psalms begins with the promise of happiness and that it then consistently appeals to our desire for deep, lasting pleasure. Psalm, Psalm 34, inviting us to taste and see that the Lord is good, an invitation to seek him and to learn the truth about the God who brings such good greatness and happiness into our lives. So, there is the promise of happiness on practically every page, and yet we know also that with Jesus, every day is not happier or sweeter than the day before, as the song says. Many days we find our hearts reading other psalms, burdened with other thoughts, groaning under tribulations. We know from experience. We know it from Scripture. David writes in Psalm 19, verse 7, how the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. And if every day was sweeter than the day before, we wouldn't need our souls to be revived so often by the word. Another psalm says, He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. And often our souls do need much restoring. We wish it weren't so, but it's always been noted by the saints of God Many years ago, Augustine put it like this in one of his prayers. Augustine wrote, I was astonished that although I now loved you, I did not persist in enjoyment of my God. Your beauty drew me to you, but soon I was dragged away from you by my own weight, and in dismay I plunged again into the things of this world. Anyone who's been a Christian for any length of time knows what it's like for our relationship with God to cool. God seems distant. There seems to be little felt love or joy. We begin to wander from his commandments. We begin to take for granted the fact that, well, we were by nature children of wrath, hell-bound, and God intervened and now made us children of God and heirs of glory. Well, that may have been very deeply moving to us at some time in the past, but now it's, it's hard to think about that very long, or for that matter, the rest of the wonderful salvation that God has richly lavished on us as a free gift in Christ Jesus when we were only deserving condemnation. So we have to wonder then, how do we keep the joy alive? in our heart? What happens when the, when the wonder starts to wander? How do we regain what has begun to fade? Well, this psalm gives us the very help that we need. For the Lord's primary answer is to seek the Lord, or to seek Him again, through His Word. Relationships are maintained primarily by words. I know the love languages. I know that there are other options available. But 
apart from any other thing in your relationship, love is the primary is primarily carried in the form of words. Relationships are maintained through words. If you pick up a Reader's Digest and it has 150 things that women wish their husbands knew, I guarantee that one very near the top is I wish that they said more to me, spoke to me more about their thoughts and feelings and so forth, because it is absolutely necessary for love and and joy to be kept fresh and to remain for these to become powerful forces in our lives or to become powerful forces again. And surely we will not enjoy the Lord and delight in him if it is not through his word. The capacity to use and understand language is more than anything else what separates us from every other creature. It comes very near to explaining what it means to be made in the image of God for So many of these words represent thoughts and feelings and faculties that take us right back to the divine. We can, it's amazing as as humans, we can take a thought and we can instantly form it into words and communicate those into the ears and to the mind of other people. And they just as quickly pick it up and understand and are changed by them. God, in the same way, can speak and change us through a word. And God has given us a massive repository of words to maintain our relationship with him. God, of course, at the beginning, spoke all things into existence by a word, and he redeemed us through the word incarnate. What is the gospel itself but words, and how is it that we become Christians except by hearing and believing such a word? The Bible says that through the living and enduring word of God, we are born again. And when we are Christians born into that communion with God, it is in that same way that we deepen our love, strengthen our joy, and and enrich our fellowship by those words. Seeking him is what we we'll be considering this evening, seeking to bring ourselves especially into a happy or more happy relationship with him. Well, you'll be very, very happy to know I only have two points for you tonight. Uh, uh, Preaching, I think, the shortest sermon I've preached in some months. When I printed it out, I was surprised to find, oh, I I should have cut out that last point. The congregation's going to think I'm chipping, I'm jipping them. But uh, you'll have to wait for that next point, I think. And uh, I would like to begin uh, by speaking on Scripture as the pursuit of happiness. Scripture as the pursuit of happiness. This psalm begins in the way that so many of these other psalms began. Happy, happy. Repeated for us for emphasis in verses 1 and 2. Happy are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Happy are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with the whole heart. It's no wonder that the longest psalm in the book and the longest chapter in the Bible is all about God's word to us Um, and how happy this psalm has made people in days past. George Wishart, probably the one that was made the happiest of all. He was uh, up on the scaffold and about to be killed. And uh, as was the custom of that day in Scotland, uh, he was allowed 
to uh, uh, sing a psalm if he chose. So he said, fine, I'll sing Psalm 119. Uh, and uh, that actually saved his life. By the time he was two-thirds of the way through it, a pardon arrived, uh, and uh, he was saved. He actually knew that a pardon was coming, but he needed to buy time, and so he picked 119, and it made him a very happy man. Well, we're going to be considering other kinds of happiness uh, <laughs> this, uh, this time. The longest uh, chapter in the Bible is about God's Word. You'll notice that every verse in the passage uh, has some reference to the word of the living God. In the part that I read to you, uh, we read about the law of the Lord, his word, his testimonies, his ways, your precepts, your statutes, your commandments, and your judgments. This whole psalm is, verily, is very skillfully composed as a poem in praise of God's word, you probably know it's an acrostic, and if you have uh, strange symbols on top, Aleph, Beit, Gimel, Gedaleth, and so forth, uh, that is because uh, the, each, each line that I read to you, each verse that I read to you, began with the same letter of the Hebrew alphabet, alphabet the, the letter Aleph, the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Well, it goes on, Beit, Gimel, Gedaleth. The, throughout the psalm, we learn that uh, God's Word is a rich and a beautiful thing, and we learn all that it does for us. And, and verse after verse, too many to consider, it gives us understanding, it delivers us, it grants us salvation, it brings praise to our lips, it calls forth words from our tongues, it's our choice, our delight, our help. You know, you just read the psalm and you think, well, what, what is there that God's Word could not give me? Seeking the Lord through His Word may take work. Surely, friends, this psalm assures us that it's rewarding work. And at the end of the day, it will be very, very happy work. All that you need, he has given in his word. And the more that you do it, the more delightful you will find it. Sometimes you have to work for joy, right? You know that when you climb a mountain, right? You want to get to the top and you think, well, how good it was that I didn't quit when I, was a, when I was a few steps in or starting to perspire because now that I, I see the vista and the view, uh, it's, it's worth it and more. Well, in the same way, Paul writes in the, to the Corinthians, we work with you for your joy. We work with you for your joy. We are fellow workers for your joy. And joy can be work, but we are called to work for maximum joy. And so we can do so through the word of God. One writer says that this psalm shows the full flowering of the delight in the law of the Lord that was described in Psalm 1. As we began the series, we studied in Psalm 1 the delight that we have in meditating on God's word day and night. And we remember that that psalm actually began with the same word, happy. Well, this psalm begins with double that, happy, happy, that uh, the, the, the psalm that uh, was the first in, the, in our series that promised that happiness now comes to its full flowering in 119. So as people begin to apply these teachings to their lives, his laws, his precepts, his wise standards, his judgments, and, and so forth, we begin to learn the cause, the reason, the way of happiness, and so forth. And our lives not only change for the better, our lives change for the happier. 
William Wilberforce was the statesman, you'll probably know, largely responsible for abolishing the slave trade in the British Empire. He was a busy man. <laughs> he wrote in his diary in the year 1819, walked today from Hyde Park Corner, repeating the 119th Psalm in great comfort. He didn't have a Bible with him. He had memorized it. Even a busy man like that had time for things that were important. And as you might know, his health wasn't the best. He stood virtually alone for year after year. He was greatly op opposed and maligned. He said, I need help. I need a source of happiness out of this world. I need Psalm 119 in my locker. And he put it there. He was a busy man, but not too busy to hide the word in his heart. And he confessed that it was this word that enabled him to accomplish so much and to press, press through so many difficulties, in his words, with great comfort. Why should we let our minds continually be taken captive with foolishness, with lesser thoughts, with the things of this world rather than the things of God's word? Does it seem strange that a very busy man like Wilberforce, one of the leading lights of Parliament in that day, should have committed this whole psalm to memory? Well, this is what gave him life to begin with. The word, through the, through the living and enduring word, he began it, and so he continued by it. Not only do we gain life by God's word, Jesus reminds us of that word in Deuteronomy, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. As our physical life was created by the word of God, so our spiritual life was both quickened and sustained now by that word. And this psalm tells us so many happy things. I will delight in your statutes, verse 16. I will not forget your word. Oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all today. Your testimonies are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. Um, again, uh, just past where we started reading, how shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. With my whole heart, I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. And so seeking the Lord through his word, we find the Lord delivering all that he's promised. And he promises a great, great deal in this psalm. Now, although it's primarily about the word of God, it is very interesting how often his words to us then become the praise in our mouth to him in response. And so you'll notice that this psalm introduces us to a certain dialogue. Yes, this, this is God's word to us, but as we look at it, we find a time and time and time and time again, it also becomes our word back to him. My second point to you, scriptural prayer as the pursuit of happiness. Scriptural prayer as the pursuit of happiness. As you read God's word and meditate upon it, we find these words bringing forth in our hearts and minds and souls praise, joy, thanksgiving, adoration, supplication, mourning that we don't have more of what he promised and asking God to fulfill it in our lives. This gets clearer and clearer in Psalm 119 the further we get. That is to say, the further we go through Psalm 119, 19, the more often these things are mentioned as 
prayers. Let's just go for a moment to the end. I'll skip to the end, and uh, we'll consider uh, 119, uh, 169 following Tav, Tal, maybe some of you have. Um, Verse 169, um, let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. See now uh, how the, the precept has become a prayer. Um, let my supplication come before you. Deliver me according to your word. He promised deliverance earlier. Now that deliverance is uh, specifically made uh, as you said, Lord, deliver me according to your word. Okay, uh, 171, my lips shall utter praise, for you teach me your statutes. The more you teach, the more I praise. 172, my tongue shall speak of your word, for all your commands are righteousness. You see the pattern here. Let's go down uh, uh, 175, let my soul live and it shall praise you. Uh, it shall praise you and let your judgments help me. I've got astray like a, a, a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. You see uh, 175, praise. 176, a petition. Seek your servant. In fact, this whole psalm, all 176 verses of it, is a kind of a joyful prayer or peal of praise in response to God's word. The whole psalm is prayer and praise over God's word. Once again, no surprise if you've been around here much, we find that the pursuit of happiness requires work in God's word in the form here of scriptural prayer, of reading and praying back to him those very things, those very promises, presenting them for payment. This may not be easy. In fact, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones confessed at one point, everything that we do in the Christian life is easier than prayer. Or a century before that, Alexander White wrote, there's nothing that we are so bad at all our days as prayer. Or a century before him, John Newton wrote, I find in my own case an unaccountable backwardness to pray, you know, I'm so thankful that so many of the leading lights in the Christian church over the years have confessed their difficulty in this very area. It makes me feel better in some backhanded way, although I also know at the same time that all of these men far outstrip me in this, in this school of prayer. Ne nevertheless, as much as it is admittedly work and difficult work to read and to pray back what is read, with interaction in our heart. This is the way that happiness, blessing, gladness, and joy is given and restored according to the psalm. Seeking the Lord by his word, seeking to pray his word back to him, will convey the very blessings that God has promised to give. Prayer makes personal our relationship with God. It makes real at the level of daily life that which God has made uh, in the way of promise for our lives. And so it, it binds us together as a child to his father. Now, you, you parents know it, it would be possible for us to provide for our children in a great many ways 
impersonally. That is to say, if we perhaps just left the food downstairs with a note every day, we wouldn't have to see our child or even further away, we could set up a trust fund and send a child away to boarding school or to some uh, um, Im impersonal uh, babysitting service. I don't know. Um, we could provide meals. We could have, a, have the child uh, have all the money that he or she needs to buy all that the child wants and so forth, have servants take care of the laundry, and then our children would never have to ask us for anything. And every parent knows what the result would be. An utterly indifferent relationship with our children, if not actual animosity. We could provide everything for our children, but we would never have their hearts. And so we would never provide for them that way, even if we could, because we know that this does not foster or express love. It is good for them to come to us and ask and to be thankful in order that we might provide according to their request. And this is how a parental relationship is maintained, especially in some early years. No father would be happy for a son that takes, takes, takes everything, asks for nothing, and thanks for nothing. It would be self-centeredness and ingratitude on his part. It would not make a son wise or humble. He would never learn to give to others as he had been given to. He would not feel how great the mercy has been shown to him. These things must be made personal and actual by means of giving and receiving, asking and granting. And so God has appointed in his word this dynamic. He promises, we present. He gives us uh, the assurance we say, Father, may I. This is how God has determined things to work out in our life and things that he, he will do in no other way. He says it this way in Ezekiel chapter 36. I will let the house of Israel inquire of me to do this for them, and I will increase their men like a flock. And so the ruined cities will be filled with flocks of men, and they shall know that I am the Lord. Now, though he had promised, of course, to do that, well before the exile, well, much longer before Ezekiel writes these words. And yet, his point is, I plan to give them all that I promised in answer to their requests. I will let them inquire of me, and I will do this from them. God's goodness in your life will only have its proper effect as it is made an answer to your prayers. The psalm right at the beginning, gives you happiness as a promise. Twice. Happy, happy are those who seek the Lord in his word. You are to take these very petitions and to seek him through that word to find what he has promised. That is the main idea of the sermon. Now I have something I want to read you to illustrate this in a practical way. Many of you will know this man, this author named George Mueller, that most remarkable founder of orphanages in England, uh, signal advocate for missions. Um, he learned a lesson in this area, and this is his own testimony, which I'd like to give you at, at longer, at, at some length, um, giving you this 
and cutting out a bunch of other stuff I had for you because I think this just says it so much better and I'm not going to add anything to it. Uh, the first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day is to have my soul happy in the Lord. Okay? My first priority every day is to have my soul happy in the Lord. The first thing to be concerned about was not how much I might serve the Lord or how much I might glorify the Lord or how much I might get my soul into a happy, sorry, uh, but how much I might get my soul into a happy state and how much my inner man might be nourished. For, he says, I might seek to set the truth before the unconverted. I might seek to benefit believers. I might seek to relieve the distressed. I might, in other ways, seek to behave myself as it becomes a child of God in the world. And yet, not being happy in the Lord and not being nourished and strengthened in my inner man day by day, all this might not be attended to in a right spirit. Now, before this time, that is before he learned this, my practice had been, at least for 10 years previously, as an habitual thing, to give myself to prayer after having dressed in the morning. Now I saw that the most important thing I, uh, now I saw the most important thing I had to do was to give myself to the reading of the Word of God and to meditation on it, that thus my heart might be comforted, encouraged, warned, reproved, instructed, and thus, whilst meditating, my heart be brought into experimental communion with the Lord. I began, therefore, to meditate on the New Testament from the beginning, early in the morning. First thing I did, after having asked in a few words the Lord's blessing on his precious word, was to begin to meditate on the word of God, searching, as it were, into every verse to get, to get blessing out of it. Not for the sake of public ministry of the word, not for the sake of preaching what I would meditated upon, but for the sake of obtaining food for my own soul. The result I have found to be almost invariably is this, that after a very few minutes, my soul had been led to confession or to thanksgiving or to intercession or to supplication so that though I did not, as it were, give myself to prayer, but to meditation, Yet it turned almost immediately, more or less, into prayer. When thus I have been for a while making confession or intercession or supplication or giving thanks, I, I go on to the next words or verse, turning all as I go on into prayer for myself or others, as the word may lead to it, but still continually keeping before me that food for my own soul, that is the object of my meditation. The, the result is this, that there is always a good deal of confession, thanksgiving, supplication, or inter intercession mingled with my meditation, and that my inner man almost invariably is even sensibly nourished and strengthened, and that by breakfast time, with rare exceptions, I am peaceful, if not in a happy state of heart. Thus, 
Also, the Lord is pleased to communicate to me that by which, very soon after, I found to become food for other believers. Though it was not for the sake of the public ministry that I gave myself to meditation, but for the profit of my own inner man. I have dwelt so particularly on this point because of the immense spiritual profit and refreshment I am conscious of having derived from it myself. And I affectionately and solemnly beseech all my fellow believers to ponder this matter by the blessing of God. I ascribe to this mode the help and the strength which I have had from God to pass in peace through deeper trials in various ways than I had ever had before. And after having now above 40 years tried this way, I can most fully, in the fear of God, commend it. How different when the soul is refreshed and made happy early in the morning from what is when, without spiritual preparation, the service, the trials, and the temptations of the day come upon one. Well, thank you for letting me read that longer testimony. I hope to your profit. Again and again in the Psalms, we find this lesson of central importance the happiness of a godly life. The joy of the Lord is to be our strength. We are to rejoice in the Lord. It says again, rejoice. David says, delight yourself in the Lord, uh, Psalm 37. Again, he says, be glad in the Lord. Rejoice, you righteous. Shout for joy, you upright in heart, 32. Many of these are, in fact, commands. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness, Psalm 100. Indeed, occasionally the opposite threatenings are made, that if we will not serve the Lord joyfully and gladly, gladly we will serve our enemies. And we, we read such commands and we think, oh Lord, I want to be happy, but I don't feel happy. What am I to do? Perhaps some of you have thought, this is just not my personality. Well, you don't understand it doesn't say, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all you who have exuberant personalities. It says, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. And you say, Lord, I need help. And you say, that very help is promised to you in the same place you have read such commands. Happiness, joy, and gladness, like peace, love, and patience, are in fact divine graces of the Christian life. And the Bible is full of instruction and assistance in cultivating happy graces, increasing joyful duties and their exercise in our life. We are to pray for them as we practice them. And the Bible is not shy, frequently commanding such things. It is remarkable just how many references there are in the book of Psalms to happiness and joy, pleasure and gladness, and how this is said to be the inevitable result of the true faith in our living God. It's not a matter of natural temperament, it's the joy of the Lord. It's both possible and necessary for all believers to experience it in some measure. When we have nothing in us, when we have no joy, at the very least, we can offer to God the great longing and desire for that joy. We can present to him the confession that although these things are so worthy of joy and gladness, we are ashamed 
that we come to God with nothing according to such excellent majesty, praying for him to forgive us and to lead us in the way of new obedience to his commands. When we feel only glimmers of such joy within us, we can kindle them as sparks. We can uh, meditate on those things. We could savor the moment and pray, oh Lord, more, more. But we are reminded from our call to worship, how much more will the, will the Lord give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And the, the fruit of the Spirit is not only love, but joy. The first stanza of this song begins the double promise of happiness to those who seek the Lord through his word. And the psalm more and more leads us not only to be reading and meditating, but to be crying out and praying. It gives us longing desires. It teaches us what to say. Oh, that my steps were directed to keep your statutes. It ends with strong resolutions. I will praise you with upright and heart when I learn your righteous judgments. Do not forsake me utterly. I will keep your commandments. We need to learn through such words how we might work for greater happiness. We're at our best when we are doing so according to this teaching. We're at our worst when we are not. And so it is time for us, for Jesus' sake, to pursue greater happiness in this word that would make others even sit up and take notice because the servants of Christ are such happy people in all circumstances. And loving happiness as people do in the world, nothing will make them sit up and take notice more than holding up, holding out happiness. Talking this morning with somebody who was starting a new job, um, somebody on the job was uh, full of bitterness and cursing, even had to be called into the manager's office <clears throat> because he didn't want him to affect the new guy because people notice such attitudes. Well, bitterness and cursing is not particularly unusual in this world. Joy and gladness, happiness and thanksgiving, these things truly will make the servants of Christ stand out. It's our duty not only to put on such happiness that is ours in Christ, but to help others find it as well. Let us do so according to his word. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you again for the gift of your word. Confessing again, we've not delighted in you according to your excellent greatness. Confessing that we have tended to forsake such a fountain of living waters and to neglect your scriptures. And so great a salvation. We have grieved and um, uh, uh, distressed your spirit so little calling upon your name and so little glorifying you in the midst of trial. Forgive us for all dullness and slowness of heart. Take away our lukewarmness by your spirit. Grant that we might here read and find our help and our hope, that we might live henceforth for your glory and to delight ourselves in the Lord we love, who alone is worthy of glory. We pray that we may be more and more experienced in this happiness. We confess that some of us have great internal struggles and battles with our own natural temperaments. May you have the victory in us. Kindle a desire in us to begin again. Open in fresh ways this sacred book. Teach us, reprove us, correct us, and instruct us that we might be a happy people, complete in every good work 
with joy to serve our master's name for his glory 